Now, I'm in John chapter 19 with the message this morning on the politics of the passion. We are going to continue to see the the language of government and politics in this passage from the execution of Jesus. I'm not going to read all the way through. That would be a good assignment for you this week is to read completely through this account of the Lord's crucifixion. But we have seen the governor without a guide and the traitor without a cause, the parade without a permit as they came down the Mount of Olives, the city without a clock that did not know the time of its visitation, and even the church without a prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. You have made it a den of robbers. And now to the king without a country. John 19, verse 13. When Pilate heard this, that is the charge that if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. When Pilate heard this, He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away! Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And the word here, handed him over, is the same word as you, that's used to describe the actions of Judas who betrayed him. So not only did Judas, his friend and disciple, betray him, but Pilate also betrayed him. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Say that phrase with me. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. One more time. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. We've said it three times, myself and all of us twice. This was written in three languages. 
Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. He rode down the Mount of Olives on a donkey, and they called him the king of Israel then. This donkey king. And it was a stretch even then. But now he is hung up to die, suspended between heaven and earth, and beaten so badly he is scarcely recognizable. And they call him a king again. No wonder the crowds that passed by the foot of the cross laughed and jeered. This is a king. I have been to a, the north side of the city of Jerusalem where they say some that Jesus was crucified. There is still a cliff there where wind and rain have carved out holes in the rock. And even today it looks like the place of a skull. But this kind of king gets no regard even in his own land. And so there's a great big parking lot for diesel buses in front of Gordon's Calvary. And that's what you see when you go there. And if you take a pit, picture of it, you're likely to have buses in it. Not a place, really, that many in the world would say, let's keep and preserve. For he was really a ridiculous kind of king hanging on that cross. Now, there where the Dome of the Rock is, over inside the old city, on the Temple Mount. Now there's some real estate. There's the place to fight and die over. There's the center of the world geographically. But this place where they killed him, outside the city wall, let's put a bus barn there. Now, 
Pilate makes the sign. And I just want us to think about the sign for a minute. We've been singing about lead me to the cross, standing at the cross. We are not in that time frame. It was 2,000 years ago. Our feet did not press that pavement then, and our ears did not hear the hammer fall. But we can go in our mind and heart to the place where the crowd went by there that ancient road and stand at the foot of the cross and read the sign as many did Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews the sign says Jesus I'm glad Pilate wrote it that way. It's the name the angel gave him. You shall call his name Jesus, the angel said to Joseph. And it is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew Joshua. And it means the Lord saves. The J in Jesus is the same J as the J in Jehovah. The angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what the angel said. The sign says Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. The Lord saves. He will save us from our sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the Apostle Paul, when he begins to describe what happened at Calvary, he writes this amazing statement about the cross. He says, He forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to his cross. What the Apostle Paul says is, the accusation of the Romans is, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, anybody who makes himself a king is not a friend of Caesar. This man needs to die for insurrection, even though Pilate knew it was not so, that he was no threat to Rome in that way. He crucified him anyway and put the accusation on the cross so that any law-abiding citizen walking by that day could look up and see why this man died at the hand of Rome. Oh, he's a king. That's why he died. We have no king but Caesar. We all know, and Pilate knew, that's not the reason that he died. He didn't die as an insurrectionist. He died as a blasphemer. That's why the Jews wanted him on that cross. He made himself out to be the son of God. That was his capital offense. 
I want you to get this, all right? The sign intends to explain why the man is hanging on the middle cross. But the Apostle Paul says, the sign that should have been there is this certificate of debt that you and I owed God. He forgave us all our sin having canceled the certificate of debt that we have. What's that? That's the debt we owe. The sin debt we owe. Paul says, when he died on the cross, he took my certificate of debt, all the ways in which I have offended God and broken his law and been unlike him and unkind and unjust, unloving and unholy on this planet, all the list of all the things that I have done that are outside the will of God, my certificate of debt, Jesus took it out of the way, canceled that debt by nailing it to his cross. When I walk by, I see my sin. This is the great thing God has done for us. And it's God's great victory over sin in your life. The things you have done that offended God were nailed to the cross of Christ. And they are ultimately and truthfully the reason he hung up to die. You got to get this in your mind or you miss the whole meaning of the cross. And you can't stay in the place of pride and see your certificate of debt on the cross. They crucified him outside the camp, they didn't want him in the city hanging up on a cross. They made him carry the cross outside the camp and die outside that camp. And so the writer of Hebrews says, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy. Through his own blood, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. In the crucifixion of Jesus, you have God bringing his son outside the camp, bearing the disgrace of sin. There is a physical city. The city of Jerusalem just steps away. But as the writer of Hebrews says, we don't have an enduring city here, but we're looking for one. And he mentions this with Abraham. 
that Abraham looked for a city that hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. I want you to get this too because he is a king. But not in the way that people think about it. And he has a city, a place, but not in the way people think about it. Instead, in the way people need. The sign says, Jesus. The sign says, Nazareth. Everybody say, Nazareth. Nazareth. You just uttered the name of a little tiny inconsequential town. In ancient Israel, up north of Jerusalem, a little place called Nazareth. It was blue-collar, backwoods, a place where the carpenter took his family when he came back from Egypt. When Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, you've got to come meet this man, Jesus of Nazareth. He could be the Messiah. Nathaniel's response is, Nazareth! Nazareth! Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Never mentioned in biblical prophecy. Maybe they didn't know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He just had this tag, he was from Nazareth. When the lawyer, Tertullus, who represented the high priest, wanted to downgrade Christianity. He came to the trial of Paul on the seaside in Caesarea Maritima, the Roman capital of the area. And he stood up to talk to Pilate's successor, Felix, who was the governor at the time. And Tertullus the lawyer talks about the Nazarene sect that is causing riots everywhere in the world. This Nazarene sect, this religious movement that came out of nowhere from nobody, he is Jesus of Nazareth. Next time you feel like a nobody from nowhere, will never amount to anything I want you to remember Nazareth Jesus grew up there and next time you swell up with pride and think you're something terrific and you got a great pedigree and you're part of the ruling class I want you to think about Nazareth that little town of no consequence where the boy Jesus ran and played and became a man. He is Jesus of Nazareth. So we will understand that it's not geography that determines who you are, but what's in your heart. Jesus of Nazareth, the king. Everybody say king. He's the king. 
It's the name of the monarch. And it's surprising how frequently the word king is used in the trial of Jesus, particularly as he comes before Pilate. Are you a king? What about your king? We have no king but Caesar. Shall I crucify your king? All of this talk about a king, Pilate wants to know. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, yes, I am a king. And so that's right. He is the king. He's the king hung up to die. He's the king riding on the donkey. He's the king of a kingdom that is not from this place, but from another place. He preached the kingdom of God, and he himself is the king. Now, I want you to know, to confess Jesus as king means that you are part of a kingdom that has many citizens in it. We are citizens of this kingdom. And there is a corporate nature to come into Jesus and confessing him as king and Lord. It is not only an individual movement of your heart. The scripture says we are baptized by the Spirit into one body when we trust Jesus as Savior. And we confess Jesus as king together. It is, in fact, our togetherness that is the territory over which he rules. Jesus rules in the heart that makes him king. And for this time, we come into his kingship one at a time as we trust him and confess him as Lord. Bring our sins to him and say, Lord, I believe you died for me on the cross and you paid my sin debt. I'm asking you to forgive my sin and make me a citizen of your kingdom. So Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come. This is the model prayer. Thy kingdom come. When you get on your knees in the quiet place, ask the Father, Thy kingdom come. Say, Father, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in my part of earth just like it is in heaven. This is King Jesus ruling in the hearts and lives of people like you and me. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Everybody say Jews. Jews. King of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The Jews hung him up to die. There was a moment when his opposition swelled up with pride, said, We are Abraham's children. You remember this? We are Abraham's children. You remember Jesus' response? 
God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. What? What? God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham? To make Jews out of the stones? What are you talking about, Jesus? By his statement, this is what I believe is the heart of the statement, okay? Jesus is breaking the genealogical link between Abraham and his children. It's not about biology. He's even breaking the geographical link. It's not about where you live on the planet. God can make of these stones Abraham's children. And later on, the apostle Paul will see that Jesus was taking it back to the heart every time, every place. It is the the chief characteristic of his teaching. It is the distinctive nature of what he says. It's all about what's going on in your heart. Paul says, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Neither is circumcision, which is the sign of the covenant, outward and in the flesh. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And the sign of the covenant is not cut in the flesh, but wrought in the spirit. I want you to get this. I want you to get it. Jesus is the king of a nation. Peter describes it as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Jesus is the king of a nation, but it does not have a geographical boundary on the planet. Jesus is the king of a nation that is taking from every tribe and country and tongue and language and nation on all of this planet. Jesus is the king who's calling out his people. A people called to be his own. Called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus is the king of the Jews because when Jesus came, Jew no longer simply meant a descendant physically of Abraham. Because God can make Abraham's children out of stones. No. It's about your heart. Abraham is justified by faith in God. It is not about the law. It's about the promise. So the covenant of God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is extended to you. And you can be part of God's holy city, the new Jerusalem. You can look forward to being a holy nation and part of the people of God. You who have been far off and not the people of God are called in to be the people of God through faith, through what Jesus did on the cross of Christ that day. It's a wonder. It's amazing. Me, a Gentile, far from the covenant of promise, now called into the covenant through Jesus Christ, the Lord. So the gospel of God is opened up to every tribe, ethnicity, and tongue. 
And God calls out for himself a people in each generation from all over the planet. And you say, well, these people don't have a geography, you know. I mean, where's their country? My Zionist Jewish guide told us in my last trip to Israel, he said, the way to heaven goes through Jerusalem. No, sir. Not if by that you mean this little tiny spot on the planet here that everybody's fighting for. You really think this geography is the heart of God's plan? No, sir. We look for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. John the Apostle, when he was old, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, said, I saw, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard the voice say, Now God will make His dwelling among men. We're not looking for a place on this poor planet where every place is temporary and the earth is filled with the remains of the dead. We are looking for the new city the city which is to come. And our heart longs for that because that is the great, wonderful truth of the universe. That there is a God in heaven who loves us, loves us personally and passionately and sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sin and make our way to the promised land which is the new Jerusalem. He deals with our sin and the ache in our heart makes us whole, heals us from the inside out. And when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Not everybody buys this, of course. There are the skeptics who still walk by the cross and say, What? Him a king? Are you out of your mind? cross is to those who do not believe foolishness but to we who are saved it is the wisdom of God and the power of God now the Jews said Pilate we want you to take the sign down you got it wrong we don't want to tell the world and everybody that this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. We want you to write a new sign. Put on a new sign. He claimed to be the King of the Jews. We'd like you to edit your sign, please, Mr. Governor. People still want him to edit the sign. You. You, personally, you individually, what would you write on the sign? 
It's up to you. You put Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, or do you put he claimed to be the King of the Jews? What's your sign say? Have you made him king in here? Or he is, is he still somebody else's king to you? With a claim that you have never made your own. Is Jesus just somebody who made some claims about who he was? Or is he your king? What do you write on the sign? Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It is from another place. And I go to prepare a place for you. Above all things in your life, you want to know this place. Have this place prepared for you by King Jesus. You say, well, how does that happen? It happens as you trust Him. And you take claim to be off your sign on Jesus and you just say, he is my king. Bow with me, please. Right where you are, you can bow your head. It's an appropriate thing to do before a king, to bow your head in humility and surrender. You can say from your heart, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to save me from my sins, just like your name says and I believe you are king and I ask you to come into my life forgive my sin and make me your own would you pray that prayer of surrender confession and faith to King Jesus as you bow your head Father I pray that your kingdom will come Father, let the kingdom come to men and women, boys and girls in this room, some who wander on this planet without a plan or a place or a purpose, don't know why they're here or where they're going. God, let your kingdom come in them so they can have a place prepared by you. King Jesus, let your kingdom come in us who know you long and know you well. Cast out every rebellion, everything that offends. Bring us back to the middle of your purpose and plan. We bow before you, King of kings, Lord of lords, and in this moment give you all the praise. Amen.